I'm on the track. You know how we do it, man. Oh, boy, CHP, see the phenol. Hey, you. Playoffs getting started. Spring football is in the air. Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, the last few weeks of European soccer season is going on right now. Just a lot of great things going on. And we'll get into some of that today. 
But first off, we're going to jump into the data devotional before we go any further. Um, and it goes like this. It's from, from Acts, 30, Acts 20, verses 33 to 35. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered my, to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The Lord wants us to, get, wants us to make wise decisions that are based on sound biblical principles. But choices that follow his will aren't always compatible with the world's way of doing business. For instance, some people may be surprised that the foundational concept of God's financial plan is to give rather to save it or invest. Give sacrificially. Typically, when, when people decide how much to donate toward charity or church, they consider their income versus their expenses and choose an amount that feels comfortable and doable. In contrast, a sacrificial offering can mean that believers follow the Holy Spirit's leading to place resources beyond their means. Initially, some Christians may feel worried about exercising their faith in this way, but thankfully, God has promised that he will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And he is totally and completely trustworthy. Give compassionately. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and, can, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Believers with a generous spirit hold their material possessions loosely and desire to use their share of the Lord's wealth to spread his blessing to others. A missionary, a charity, or pastor does not have to beg them to part with their money. God's financial plan differs from any we, we will see in this world, but his principles have proven to be effective. The Bible and church history show that for thousands of years, Christ's followers have chosen from to give from a compassionate heart and sacrificial spirit. And he rewards them with increased faith and enough materials to meet all of their needs. You know, whenever you think about stuff like this, I mean, it makes you think of what you can do, not only for yourself, but what can you do for others? Because it's just like the old children's church song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. And when Jesus is yours, yes, he loves you. And he loves you because... You've given your blessings upon people. Therefore, he'll give you your blessings back. Just a little food for thought. But we're going to take a quick station break. We'll be right back. And we're going to jump into some, we'll jump into the NBA playoffs. Stay tuned.
up with all kinds of talent. the tailgate crew. My name is Jermaine. Thanks for being a part of the show. That was a little bit of T-Will with the Tiger Walk, a uh, little fight song from the USC Trojans, and we also had my man Torrance Rudd. Big shout out to Torrance Rudd. Uh, I'll be on my praise. Now, we're going to jump right into We're just right into it, and you know, the NBA playoffs start today, and and for once, the NBA playoffs isn't as wide open as it has been in the last few years. Um, you know, it's the status quo. I mean, in the West, I mean, Golden State, San Antonio, or probably Golden State, San Antonio, OKC, and and um, the Clippers are are pretty much you know the best four teams in 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 the league. And you also have you know the Trailblazers, who are up and coming team, the Mavericks, who are who are pretty much like the Spurs in the sense, you know, older with, with younger talent mixed in. The one series that I like, though, we're going to start straight out with the West. And the one series that I really like is this 4-5 matchup between the Clippers and the, and, the, and the Trailblazers. Now, granted, the Clippers haven't been as healthy as they have been in the past few years. I mean, they lost DeAndre Jordan for a stretch there. They lost uh, Blake Griffin for a while. Chris Paul, who takes games on and off, you know, just to rest his body. You really didn't see the full Clippers team this year as you had the in years past. It, was this the prime year for the Clippers this year? Probably so. But, you know, you still got guys like Jamal Crawford who's still putting it down. You still got – I mean, you still got Chris Paul who's doing who's doing this thing. DeAndre Jordan's on the offensive side, on on the defensive side of the ball. Also gives you a few points, give you about ten points a game as well. Um, I think one of the other one of the other intangibles is you have a guy like JJ Reddick who who is a swing guy. You no, know, he's they're playing him as a, as a three, as a small forward, and he really stretches the court as a small forward. Because of his three-point abilities, now and he's very and he's very good defensively. That's the one thing that a lot of people don't don't really look at when you look at the Clippers is that they're not as they're, they're known more for the Lob City type deal and not for their and not for their the, the defensive for the defensive side of the ball. So this this is one of those series where it's going to get very physical. It's going to get very it's going to get very, very competitive, and you know we really haven't talked about the the the, uh, the backcourt for for Trailblazers. I mean, Dame Lillard and and those boys, those boys from Ball, and as you can see, what they did to to um, Golden State earlier, winning by thirty. I mean, this is a good t- this is a good team. They're still young. They're still learning 
how to play as opposed to when to play. And you know, you still you got some you got some really good talent there. I mean, the Myers Leonard's of the world and and some of the big guys that they have there. I mean, they got some great bigs and you know, we all thought that with the loss of Lamarcus Aldridge that Portland would slip just a little bit and and granted they did, but not as much as people predicted them to. So with that being said, I'm very excited to see what's gonna happen in this series. What backcourt's going to take over? What point guard is going to dictate the series as a whole? And this could be a back-and-forth series. I I mean, I can see this series going seven. I can see this series going six. This is one – and, you know, you can't go either way. But this is one of those four or five matchups that is a true four or five matchup because either one of these clubs could have had home, home court. And with that being said, I mean, I'm I'm really interested to see what's going to happen, and and I'm really interested to see how how it's going to play out. So, um, but stay tuned on that one. The other series, the other two, the other three series in in the West are just absolute they're they're nail biters, but. At the same time, I mean, Houston, Golden State, Houston got in by the skin of their teeth. Can they get hot? Can they upset Golden State? I think they can get a couple wins, but I don't think that they'll that they'll be they'll be tested. I don't think Golden State will be tested. I don't think they'll be tested until the second round, whether they play Oklahoma, whether they play Oklahoma City or Dallas, Oklahoma City, Dallas, uh, the Clips or or Portland. It's really really good to see what. What people think about that, and a lot of people, my man T Rex just just hit me up and said, "Hey, the Clips gonna win that series in six. I I happen to to not disagree with him. I I don't. I, I mean, I I can't say whether I agree or disagree, but it's a really really good, really really good series. Um, Golden State, like I said. Houston can probably get a game or two off of them, but I really think that that Golden State will sweep, will sweep um, Houston. I mean, no doubt about that. But the two series that are the, the most competitive series is going to be the Clips and the Clippers and, and Trailblazers, Oklahoma City, Dallas. Even though Dallas went zero and four against OKC this year, Oklahoma City's been down a little bit this year as well. You know, first year head coach and Billy Donovan, and then you have a guy like, and you have guys like Kevin Durant who is fully healthy again and didn't have any injuries, and Westbrook who didn't have any injuries, but you did have some some problems with with um with um Serge Ibaka, you know, missing a few game, missing a few games here and there due to injury. You lost um. I mean, you lost a couple of players to free agency this past year, but you gained a couple of players as well. I mean, Kyle Singler is, is a good guy off the bench for you. I mean, th- this is a, this is a club that that's pretty much as good as advertised, but they're still missing that something. And I don't know what it is, but they're missing something. And 
but I really believe I really believe that that Oklahoma City could in fact you know they're they're beatable. They're they're really beatable. I mean with the veterans that, that Dallas has, you know, and possibly and with the cap room that they have next year, I mean they can go out and try to get some some big big time players. The thing about Dallas is that that they they don't have the max capacity, but they do have some cap room next year. Um, it is it's going to be very hard to see what's going to happen in this series. Do I think Oklahoma City can win this series? Of course, they swept them this past season. But like I said, it's a veteran Mavericks team who knows how to win in the playoffs. So I mean, I can see this game. I can see this series going seven games. I can also see this series going four or five either way. It's just whoever decides to get hot. And, again, this is a Dallas club that wasn't that far from being – from winning their division as well. So, I mean, we you've got to look at it from that standpoint as well. I mean, even though – even though San Antonio was, was really far and away the best team in the Southwest division – Dallas wasn't that far off either, and it's just like it's just like the Thunder. They've got they've got some things missing, and you can't really put your your finger on it. I mean, of what they're missing. I mean, so this is just one of those games. Is who's gonna collapse first? This is one of those series. Is who's gonna collapse first? Who's gonna wilter under the pressure first? And I like Durant. I like Westbrook. I like that backcourt, but it's just. There's just something to be said about this series as a whole. My man T Rex says, "Don't sleep, don't sleep on the Mavericks," and you really can't. But at the same time, he thinks he thinks that, that the Thunder can win a seven. I I think if it goes seven, I think Dallas will win a seven. But again, this is one of those series like whoever gets hot first will win the series. That's that's just plain and simple. Memphis and San Antonio, the same as with Golden State and Houston. This is a, this is a series that could, is primed for upset because of because of the of the roster of the Spurs. But I can't I can't put the I can't put those five championships in the past. Because this is a team who knows how to win championships. This is a team that that knows how to play together, as opposed to playing as individuals. And you know, Lamarcus Aldridge has bought into that philosophy, and he's made. I mean, it's almost as if Popovich is actually. I'm sorry. I'm also watching the Man United game, and Man United just scored. Uh, Marcus Rashford just scored a beautiful goal. Um, but like I was saying, um, San Antonio, it just seems like Greg Popovich, since he's gotten Lamarcus Aldridge in that in that squad, it seems like he's rejuvenated just a little. He's rejuvenated himself. I mean, it was it's almost as if when you had David Robinson in and then you got Tim Duncan and Robinson was on his way out. And it seems like 
Duncan rejuvenated him. It seems like it's the same thing that's happening with LaMarcus Aldridge. Do I think that Pop's going to be around for, for much longer? He's going to be there as long as – I mean, let's just be honest. He's going to be in San Antonio as long as he wants to be in San Antonio. But with a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge, he's got another big guy that he can trust. He's got another big guy who's learned from a veteran like Tim Duncan. And Tim Duncan, he can play until he's, he can play until he's 70. If you look at if you look at the way he's playing right now, he he can actually play to his seventy. So, with that being said, I mean, you still got a guy like Tony Parker, you still got Manu Ginobili, you you got Patty Mills coming off the bench, and then you got a guy. We don't talk about the dudes very very often because he's so quiet. I mean, he's almost like a. I mean, dare I say, if I go back to the past, he's all. I mean, he's so quiet. He's almost like like an Antonio McDice type player with his personality. I mean, cause he's, he's so quiet. He's so unassuming. He just, he just wants to go out there and play ball. Nobody talks about, nobody talks about the dudes the way that, the way that he should be talked about. But let's just, let's just put this in perspective. Memphis has got a, got one of those, one of those real physical teams and they're going to be decimated by free agency this year. So this is one of those clubs where they've got to get stuff done now. And being a seven seed against a team that won sixty five games this past year, I, I wow. Um, I, I don't think that I don't. I, yeah, I mean that's enough said there. But I, I like San Antonio. I think San Antonio can actually sweep the series. I, I I don't see I don't see there being anything in the series like I didn't see anything that's in the Golden State series that. I mean, I think Houston can take a game or two, but with Memphis, I don't think they can take a game at all. So, um, so I mean, that that that's pretty much, you know, there to be said. Now, I think Golden State will move on. I think San Antonio will move on definitely. I think OKC will move on. I think they'll play. I think OKC and, and, and San Antonio in the second round is going to be a blockbuster matchup. And, I, I want to pick the Clippers. I really do. But I really like the Trailblazers as well. This is one of those toss-up games, toss-up series. So, I like Golden State. <laughs> do I have the right to reserve a pick to go back, you know, for the second round? Do I have that right to reserve if it's goes seven? I, I hope so, but I really want. I really think that Golden State Clippers is going to be Golden State Clippers is going to be a great matchup. Golden State Portland is going to be a great matchup. Don't be surprised if if Dallas creeps in and it becomes Golden State Dallas or you know something like that. I mean, I I just can't. I can't imagine. You know the six seed. Not I. I just it's just such a such a big such a big series there. So, but I definitely think the Golden State and San Antonio are going to go go forward. I'm really torn on on the on the other two, but you know nonetheless they're going to be great series nonetheless. Golden State gets started at three thirty today. Um, I think the Clippers play it. I think the Clippers and Blazers play at ten thirty. 
Uh, might need to go back and get some clarification on that. Um, I think um, the Pacers and Raptors start today as well, as well as uh, Atlanta and Boston. So, and we'll, we'll we'll go we'll jump to the East now. And I, I'm looking at the East, and the East is pretty much wide open. But I think it'll be the status quo in the East. Toronto is a two seed. Toronto is is in the best having having the best season of of their existence. Um I love I love Kyle Lowry. I love I love that DeMar DeRozan. I love that backcourt for Toronto. I think they're the best backcourt I think they're one of the best backcourts in the East. You know, and I would put them up up in that in, in that top five backcourts in in the league. I mean, they're, they're young, they're athletic, they're they're really really good, and they're veteran and they're veteran players who play as a team. Kyle Lowry's finally found found his his place in the NBA. You know, he's been he's been in Sacramento, where Sacramento was just absolutely terrible. He's been in a place like he's been in other places where he just didn't fit. Now that he's at now that he's at Toronto, he fits in. He fits just like a glove, and and I'm very excited to see see this. Toronto, Indiana has the potential to be just an absolute upset. I the way that the Pacers played down the down the stretch, I don't think that they're a complete team, and. I don't think that they're a complete team, but the thing about the thing about about Indiana is that they're scrappy. They're, they're scrappy. They're so scrappy. They don't. I mean, they don't lay down for anybody. I mean, as what you saw, you know, in the last few games of the season. I mean, you you really thought that. You really thought that Chicago was just gonna, you know, take over and 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 be in the series and be in the playoffs. You know, they lost late. They lost their nerve. A lot of people were talking about, well, what about Tibbs? What about Tibbs? You know, Tibbs is gonna be the new head coach at Sacramento. I mean, I don't I don't know where anybody else, you know, is is, is going with that. But Tibbs is gonna be the new head coach in in, in Sacramento. I mean. That's just that's just the way I, I see that I see that going. But I like Indiana in this series. They've been decimated with injuries as well. But this backcourt and, and the front court for for Toronto, I think it's just going to be too much for Indiana to handle. And Indiana doesn't have any depth in the, on the bench. Um, Paul George is finally getting back to the Paul George of old. You're starting to see later in, later in the se- this season, as opposed to last season and the, and the season before when he came back uh, late. Um, you're starting to see Paul George get back to being the Paul George that made him an all-star, that made him on the cusp of the national team, made him on the cusp of being just just a superstar. Now, now you're starting to see what everybody's talking about, and 
I as much as I like the Raptors, I think the Raptors will win this series. I think this this series is six games, possibly seven, but six definitely. Um, Toronto is gonna going to take take care of that home field, home court advantage. Um, and I know that the Air Canada Center is going to be rocking. So I mean that that's that's the very important part of it in all of this is that you know what you're going to get when you go to Toronto. It's going to be real loud. It's going to be really really good. So uh, it's going to be a really good crowd there. Now we look at Cleveland and Detroit, the one eight, the eight one game, eight one series. Detroit. Detroit got into the playoffs by skin their teeth. Um, Chicago faltered. Let, let's just call it what it was. Chicago faltered late in the season, losing two of the last, losing, splitting the last four games, and got themselves out of the playoff picture. Detroit, just like Indiana, they're not complete. They're still missing pieces here and there. The backcourt's great, but at the same time. You look at Cleveland and you look at the pieces that they've added. They added Dante Jones. They've added, you know, a lot of people don't like Della Vadova for obvious reasons. And, you know, to be honest with you, I like Della Vadova. I've always liked him. I liked him when he was at St. Mary's. I love his grit. I love his determination. You know, he's a guy who can who can shoot the three. He's a guy who can who can take care of of the ball if he has to. He can run the point. I mean, he he's just a guy who's just he's just a ball he's just a baller. I mean, he's not a baller in a traditional sense. He's a he's a baller in in that you can ask him to play the five and he'll play the five and he and he he probably block a couple of shots even though he's six four six one, six two. I mean he he's just got he's got that kind of grit. He's a he's a bulldog and a lot of people don't like that because of the way he plays. I particularly like it. I don't particularly like the Cavaliers, but I think the Cavaliers are going to sweep Detroit. I mean, I don't think, like I said, I don't think Detroit is complete. I don't think the Pacers are complete. I don't think that there's a complete team in the East except for the top, except for, except for the, except for the, the top five seeds. I, I just I, Charlotte is close. They're real close. I mean, they're 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 probably on the cusp of being that top tier Eastern Conference team. Atlanta with Budenholzer. I mean, how do you go from a one seed to a four seed? I mean, even though you still have home court, you know, this is a team that's still as good as advertised. And I love Jeff T. Will Jeff T be signed to a long-term deal? That's that's the question to be asked in the offseason. Can the Hawks get players to come? They've got cap room out of the yayo next year with the cap going up and with guys that are not under max contracts. This is this is the time for Atlanta to strike while the iron's hot. I mean, they've got the club to make a deep run. They can, they can actually make it. I think that they can actually make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Atlanta does. I like Boston. I love what Brad Stevens has done. Do I think that? I mean, I was talking to a guy today at. Per, I was talking to a guy the other day at PerSources.com, 
and he he tweeted me. He tweeted the question: Is Brad Stevens the coach of the year? He said no. He said Curry is. You know. No coach has done more with less in the game of basketball than than a guy like Brad Stevens. I mean, nobody has done less with more done more with less. I mean, think about what I said there. I mean, because you look at what what Brad Stevens has. He has little to no backcourt. His front court is, you know, Kelly Olenek is, is, is a budding star. I mean, is a budding, a budding superstar. You get some help with him. I mean, and they've got cap room next year as well. They can get a veteran guy. They can get – I don't think that they'll be able to get a big name in free agency, but I think that they can get get some get some role players and get some guys who who started some games that aren't too young, that aren't too that aren't too old. They're right in the prime of their careers. I mean, this is this is got all the makings of being of being a great, great, great club. And Brad Stevens. He should be in consideration for Coach of the Year. Luke Walton should be in consideration for Coach of the Year. Billy Donovan, Greg Popovich. I mean, you've got to you've got to look at it from that standpoint. If you're going to look at it from that, if you're going to look at it like that, Brad Stevens should be Coach of the Year because he he's done more with less. Does that mean that I think that that Boston will beat Atlanta? No. Not necessarily, but this is this has got all the makings of being a seven game series because you don't know what Atlanta team you're gonna get. You don't know what Boston team you're gonna get. Can this turn into like a like a sweep? Possibly. Can this turn into a knockdown drag out seven 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 game affair? Of course. It's just how do you look at things? And where do you look at things? From what perspective do you look at things? You know Boston's going to be physical. You know Atlanta can be physical with with Horford and and those guys up front. And you know you got Jeff Teague, and then you have guys like I mean you got Teague and Corver in the backcourt. I mean again, you look at another backcourt that's probably in the top ten best backcourts in the, in the league. I mean, it's just no doubt about that. I mean. You can't really go wrong there. I like, I mean, I like Boston in the series. I like Atlanta in the series. I think if I'm going to pick a 4-5 series to go with, this is the 4-5 series that you, that you have to pick. I mean, because do you go with do you go with the veteran Hawks team that you know you can win with, or do you go with a team like Boston who is just on the cusp of being something special if they get some get some other things tidied up? I really like the Hawks in the series. I think the Hawks will win. I think the Hawks will win in seven. 
I, I really think the Hawks will win in seven. Uh, it's, just, it's that kind of series. I just think that the Hawks will win in seven. You know, you look at Miami Charlotte. Miami and Charlotte is the same way. Kimber Walker and, and, and those guys. I mean, this is this is Michael Jordan has finally put together something at Charlotte that you haven't seen in a very long time. This is a really good Charlotte Hornets team. They're season or two away. But for them to make the playoffs and be a six seed and they're a solid six seed. They they were in that they were in that conversation of being of being of having home field home court advantage. I mean that that's how close four, five, and six were. I mean this is this is really really a good situation for Charlotte. Is Miami prime for upset? Of course, of course. I mean you look at what I mean you look at. They're missing Chris Boston. Who who knows if he's going to come back? And prayers to him for for that. And I, and I hope that we see him on the court again. But I just don't. I, I don't know. But without him on the court, I mean, you've got other guys there. I mean, you still got you still got Udonis Haslam. You still got got guys who can fill it up from that sense. When 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 called, but. You don't have that inside presence like you did with Chris Anderson. I mean, you got, I mean, you still have, like I said, you still have Udonis and, and and players like that, but you don't have, you don't have that guy that that stirs the drink, you know, and that's what makes that's what makes this series. Very, 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 very – it makes it very interesting. And the reason why I say it makes it very interesting is because this is this is one of those series where you just look at it, you open it up, and you just really wonder, does D-Wade have enough in the tank to carry a team to another championship? Does Charlotte have enough to to make an upset happen? This is the interesting questions for for Miami and Charlotte, and this is probably this this three six series as opposed to Oklahoma Dallas has all these makings of an upset because you got a one trick pony in Miami. Whereas Charlotte, you've got Jeremy Lin, you've got—I mean, you've got—you've got post help, you've got—you've got a point guard who can who can shoot shoot the shoot the dagger, shoot lights out, and and be a dagger, be an assassin. I mean, did, Miami Charlotte has the makings of being just an absolute blockbuster of an upset and a blockbuster of a series if you look at it from that, that standpoint. So. I actually, I'm gonna pick the upset here. I'm gonna pick Charlotte over Miami. I'm, I, I, I put, I said it. I said it. I said it. Charlotte over Miami in in five games, in six games. There, I said it. Charlotte over Miami in six games. 
No, I, I ain't afraid. To, I ain't afraid to say it. I'll say it again. Charlotte over Miami in six games. I think the six seed is gonna make it to the second round. That that's that that's the bottom line. You heard it from me first. So we're gonna take a quick station break. We'll be right back. Got Scott Smith on, on the show with us with us today. We're gonna to be talking to spring football. Get into the spring football forecast next week. Like I said, next week we're gonna be we're gonna hit spring football really, really hard. Um with a lot of the spring games that are happening today. You know, so we'll take a quick station break. We'll be right back. Yo, y'all check out this Connor Cassidy. Let's check out my man Connor Cassidy. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're right here with us tonight. And I thank you for that. Hailing from Norfolk, Massachusetts. Give it up for him, y'all. Homie, my eyes too filled with the shit I seen. Daytime, told me still I dream With a cold glass filled with the feel I bring And still it's old schooling when I ride on clean And I could reach on to the levels above Or maybe skyrocket to the levels of buzz I'm feeling way better by the end of my run So I'm in paradise kicking by the time that I'm done You feel me? A new space where my mind is Your opinion couldn't define this And we searching only to find bliss Steady living on cause you can never rewind this Living I earn, I give and I earn Hustle and burn through the essence of spreading my word I stay vivid to the dreams done On these verses I'm giving Cupid machine guns So bada boom, what's love, come on Against the world, round one, nothing here to take the pressure off On skylines I can level off I put my ego on the edges of clouds until I let them dry Hitting the ground, good riddance The boy rigid with sand and my mood shifting Young nights with parties and new women Regardless of the crowds, I'm thinking we too different Cause they in up for recognition, we in up for love Cursing a dollar to the point that I'm getting me some Miles above what was supposed to be out of my range Ironic cause I thought about jumping a gun Biting bullets with a peace signs on them Running from the ruckus to the whole path on us Running and still, never forgetting where I came from It's one love and one fan to the game's one we ain't the same, son. And on and on and on And one more time 
up out of here. Give it up for the beautiful lyric of Jada. We pressing on and on and on. We gone. War 
Street poetry is my everyday. But yo, I gotta stop when you drop my weight. If I was working at the club, you would not pay. Hey, yo, my man Fife Diggy, he got something to say. I like them brown, yellow, Puerto Rican, and Haitian. Mm. Name is Fife Boss from the Zulu Nation. Told you in the jam that we could get down. Now let's knock the boots like the group H-Town. You got DVD all on your bedroom wall. But I'm above the rim and this is how I bore. A gritty little something on the New York street. This is how I represent over this here beat. Talking about you. Yo, I took you out. The sex was on my mind, pulled the whole damn route. My mind was in a frenzy in a horny state. But I couldn't drop down because you couldn't relate. You couldn't relate. Boston the tailgate crew. My name is Jermaine. Thanks for being a part of the show. Yeah, I had to had to listen to a couple of different songs today, man. Shout out to my man Q6. Um, he was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Marquise Daniels, former Auburn basketball player. Also to my man Young Scoop. Uh, he was also on the show a couple of weeks ago. And also also a big shout out to to a young lady by the name of, of Tampa Mystic. Thanks for thanks for the support and thank you for for tuning into the show today. Um, so got a lot of things going on today. A lot of spring footballs in the air. Just really excited to talk about spring football, the spring forecast as as we as we get into it. You know, a lot of coaching changes, a lot of things going on. Also, just some coaching changes um, in in the Big Twelve as well. Um, 
in basketball in the Big Twelve before we get before we go in, before we even go to the spring football forecast. Um, as you all know, Tubby Smith has 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 left the post at at uh, Texas Tech to take the job at at um, Memphis um, after Memphis lost their head coach Josh Pastner to Georgia Tech. Also, Chris Beard, who just who was the head coach at Arkansas Little Rock. Um, signed a signed a deal with with UNLV, um, Texas Tech bought out that deal. Now he's the new head coach at Texas Tech. He's had he's, this is his third job in three years. It's kind of an interesting situation with Chris Beard though, because Chris Beard was a graduate assistant under under Bob Knight. He was also uh, a, um, a a paid assistant. Under Pat Knight, when Pat Knight was was at Texas Tech, so there's a lot of there's a lot of things that, that went on with the Texas Tech deal. There is why he wanted to come back, why he wanted to go to Texas Tech. So um, UNLV is on the on the new search for a new head coach as well. But at the same time, just really really excited to talk about spring football. Just had to get that had to get that in and out there. Now talk about spring football. And just in time, we got we got my man on the line, um, Scott Smith for Streetlight Recruiting, and no introduction. Um, got some great kids that that is on that he has gotten into schools, and one in particular, a three star quarterback who was rated a three star, now a four star quarterback, Dalton Hyatt, is actually committed to um, Arkansas. He's going to play for Brett Bielema next year, and he's also going to um, he's also going to he also went to the opening not too long ago as well, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Is that correct, Scott? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, he 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 went and uh, what I understand, he had a pretty good day. Um, I, I, he, they didn't they didn't make the uh, the cut for the Elite Eleven, but uh, from what I understand, next year he had a pretty good day, and a lot of that Elite Eleven selection stuff is a little political. Usually, if you you have the bigger offers you have, you're gonna make it no matter how you play. <laughs> uh, and this don't, is got a lot of big offers, but you know it's just kind of crazy how how the rating star system works. I mean, he uh, like you mentioned, he was a three star, and then when Arkansas offered, he bumped to four star. Well, he was the same quarterback before that. <laughs> this but, is true. Uh, Very know, true. It's, it's all that rating system is all political. Um, but how that goes, but yeah, he's a heck of a player. He said. He said he was really comfortable in Arkansas. That Arkansas, um, it was it blew him away on his visit. He wasn't expecting uh, how nice it was, and so I, I think uh, he found his home. <laughs> um, and you know, one of the one of the big questions I want to ask you about um, in in the last couple of weeks, we had to open like a quarterback um, said he's going to leave after this season, a full year early, to enroll at Florida State. Is that a good idea for him? Is that a bad idea for him? I mean, is he is he ready and will and capable to make that jump that that soon that quick? Well, it's South Carolina. Is, that's correct. South it's, Carolina. It's South yeah, Carolina. I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, here's the thing about the typical. I would say 99 times out of 100, and even like for instance with Dalton, I think Dalton, I think Dalton might in in the long run is a better is a better prospect than Bentley, in my opinion. But right now, Dalton would be in the same boat. I would tell him not to do that. Um, because I would say that most kids need 
the extra year of maturity before you're ready. You know, you, anytime college football is such a big jump when it comes to schematics and it comes to the size of the players and speed of the game. A lot of times, uh, you know, going a year late helps you to a year early. It's like you see redshirt freshman quarterbacks typically do better than true freshmen, et cetera. But um, I would say Bentley's a little different in the fact that you're talking about a kid, the son of a coach. I remember uh, his dad was the head coach at Burns High School in South Carolina when they were they were a powerhouse back, you know, in the 90s and 2000s. And uh, you're talking about a kid who probably is a little more advanced uh, schematically than the average high school senior or junior. So he's probably going to be fine doing it. Um, but I would say most kids shouldn't do it. I would agree, and I haven't really seen anything like this since uh, John David Booty, um, when he left Evangel Christian with that whole controversy with his father, and he ended up going to USC and didn't really have a great career, but it was solid. Yeah, yeah he, was, Whereas, he was a solid quarterback. And But, I mean, there are those rare exceptions there, but if you look at guys like Bailey Hawkins and the the um, Malik Henrys and Brandon McElwain's of the world, I I can't fathom those guys coming in early. You know when they should be at prom. You know playing the way that they're playing, especially Brandon McElwain, the way he played in the spring game last week for South Carolina. I was impressed. I don't know if anybody else was, but I was impressed. Yeah, some of these guys now, you know, it's one of the things I'll say that it kind of makes things a little tough to evaluate as far as going forward, uh, as far as changing how guys uh, go into college. The seven-on-seven camp and the, the quarterback trainers, like, like you know, we're talking about Dalton. Dalton uh, trains with a uh, quarterback coach at, um, out of Birmingham named Ben Neal that played at Sanford. He specializes in a lot of type stuff uh, similar to, you know, George, George Whitfield does for ESPN kind of deal, training quarterbacks. That kind of stuff with the seven that does change how these kids. I'm seeing sometimes these some of these kids, like you mentioned, him coming in playing really well in the spring game to begin with. Um, I think that's you're starting to see that more often. I'm still not sold that, that it's going to change it all the way around, but you are still starting to see kids coming in at the quarterback position and play, be able to handle the passing game early, which is it's something that's new to me because I'm I I grew up in an era where that didn't happen. <laughs> but this is uh, very true. now it seems like it's happened more and more. And it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun to see the progression of football. Whether you the coaches these new offenses, this new spread offenses and uh some coaches are still traditional running the wing tee, you know, and having guys who can pass passing quarterbacks that play in the wing tee. Does that put them at a disadvantage going into college or does that put them in a in a bit of a of an advantage because they learn they learn on the fly or you know that's a good question. And and honestly, I think it I think it does have an effect. And and, and probably the best example of saying why it does have an effect. Um you know, when it comes to as far as sample size, what what shows it more more so than anything. Take for instance the NFL. Okay, there's not much difference in t- taking a, a high school wing T quarterback into college and trying to make him into pro style. As it, it, basically the same principle is these NFL teams that take these spread guys and try to put them under center. 
it doesn't That's work true. very often. It, it just doesn't work very often because these guys, you know, we, you know, human beings, we typically are gonna, going to rely on what we do, what has worked for us in the past. And, and um, one second, sorry. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, basically when, when we get put in a pinch, we're going to revert back to that. And so I would say, you know, it's kind of like with a running quarterback in the NFL, a guy that's been spread guy's whole career. He has read one, read two, there's pressure, boom. He's going to drop and run like he did in college. I think in, I think the, the guys coming out of high school, you see quarterbacks that play in the wing tee or something like that. And don't get me wrong, I like the wing tee. I, actually, I used to coach with a guy at Chambers Academy that coached the wing tee, and he's a great coach, great system. I like it. I think it, you know, it's a very good system. But for a quarterback going into the college game to have played in the wing tee in high school, you're talking about basically uh, taking on a project because he's nowhere near what, you, what you're going to be trying to install with him in college mentally from a mental aspect. You know, and, and and a good example of that is an Elite 11 quarterback like Bryce Ramsey, who played at Camden County, comes from a wing T offense. They tried to change the offense around for him a little bit. Another guy who came from wing T offense was Blake Mitchell at LaGrange High School. They they didn't translate very well to the college game, especially especially Bryce Ramsey right now. In the way you look at them, in the way you, you, you look at other quarterbacks that were in the early 11, it, it just hasn't translated to success for him. Now, he may be he, – he's a pro prospect as a punter more so than he is a quarterback, and that, that's, pretty, that's pretty sad. Yeah, and, you know, in, in, in hindsight, and, and I think you'll see this more and more uh, – that that I I'll be willing to bet, and I'm sure Blake Mitchell's family would say the same thing. In retrospect, rather than be stuck in that system, you're probably better off having that kid transfer. Mm-hmm. If it was my son in the ninth grade as a Division One quarterback prospect, if this high school is going to run the wing key as its base system, whether they're going to implement some 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 slight changes or not, if that's what you're going to run, my son's going somewhere else. This is true. This is true, and it was it, it's. It's very, very similar. The all everything that we're talking about is very similar to what what has gone on in the program and what's going on in the in the college name, like you said. But I think the bigger the bigger question is is who has the advantage when when you look at when you look at things like that? Who has the advantage of making that team successful, making that person successful? That means is it the coaches at the next level, or is it the coaches that are at the high school level that pretty much held them back? Well, I mean, now here's my thing. I, I, as a, the coach in me says, looks at it, you have to do as whatever, whether you're the high school coach, whether you're the college coach, your job is to win. That's your job. Your job is to win. So whatever you do well is what you need to do. Whatever you believe in, whatever you can run correctly, that's what you should do. If it gives you a better chance to win, and, and to be honest with you, if you ask yourself this question, if I'm a wing tee guy, but I got a six foot four division one quarterback that can make the throws and okay, let's just say I've got decent receivers or whatever. I I, I don't think there's a way you can say, Well, I've got a better chance running the wing tee and, and not letting this guy throw the ball as as I do uh, this Division One player actually, you know, let's let's cater to his talents. I think you're still better off catering to his talents. But if the coach 
you know, to me, that's what they got to do. They have to say, uh, you know, my job is to win. I've got to run what I've got to run to win. Now, the kids' family should make the choice, you know, as far as transferring. I think transferring, um, you know, it should be something that's done more often, if you ask me. Being a former private school guy, I've seen a lot of guys transfer. I think transferring's fine. I know public school people have a hissy fit about it, but in reality, it should be, should be perfectly fine. Whatever helps your situation as a family, you should be able to do it. I would agree, and see a lot of the things. That's the problem that that they're having in that we're having in the state of Georgia, because of the transfer rules and because of the districting of, of schools of, of schools, for that matter. You know, you have some kids who are playing out of district, and then they have to give up wins because of those kids playing out of district. I actually think that the transfer rule is perfectly fine. Like you said, I agree with that. But I also agree with what what the families are trying to do and what the coaches want to make themselves to be. They want to make themselves be known that, hey, I'm the one who got this kid into college or I'm the one that, that's helped this kid along the way. But it, it just, it's hard to to make things like that work in a sense. Well, you know, and here's my, here's my, always, my take on the transfer thing has always been this. All right. If you want to retain your kids, because this is something, again, I went to a private school, I coached at a private school. We had to, we had to create an atmosphere that was attractive to families, both academically and athletically in order to attract new kids or retain them. Public schools should have that same responsibility. Just because a kid lives in your city and, and is supposed to go to your school does not mean you should just be able to provide him with a half, you know, uh, kind of a half haphazard uh, academic uh, um, experience or an athletic program that is not as serious as the neighbor program. Okay, if you, if you had um, if Hoover is you know is a great academic high school and a, a great athletic experience and really pumps money into their programs and they try to win. And you have another one that's right down the road that doesn't, that does not even come, is not even comparable. Why should the kids that the other one be forced to go there? If you're not providing them with the same experiences as Hoover right down the road, they should have that choice. They should be able to go wherever is giving them the best experience that allows them to grow and go into, you know, greater, go into a great life at college and that kind of deal. And that's why I've always – I'm more for the private school type deal. You can transfer, do whatever you want to do. If it benefits you, good job. Go for it. Uh, you know, and that all goes back to the whole open enrollment conversation. And a lot of people don't like the schools with the open enrollment because they quote-unquote recruit. There's not re- It's not recruiting, not really a, such a thing as recruiting. That's just a school that's opened up to everybody. If you want to come there to play ball, you can come there to play ball. If you want to come here to get a good education, we're here to do that as well. That's what I don't understand about the the open enrollment you know, controversy, especially in Georgia. I know that, that Alabama had that had that same thing with Hoover and with uh, was it Spanish Fort and uh, McGill Tulin who were open enrollment at one point. Yes. And, and I, here's, the, here's the thing about you mentioned the recruiting. That's kind of a me. Kind of a, uh, I guess you'd say a hot word, because I hear it all the time. <clears throat> recruiting people, 
they can't. I see people on message boards saying, "Well, Hoover recruited so and so. Or these private schools are allowed to recruit." I'm gonna tell you something. Having been in the, the high school, to helping high school kids get recruited for the last eight years, I've dealt with a lot of families at a lot of high schools in a lot of cities, and I'm gonna tell you, every single school recruits, whether they're private, public, whether they have open enrollment or not, all of them have somebody out there making a pitch, trying to get a kid to go from one place. To another, I mean, I, I had a kid last year. I won't name any names, but I had a kid last year. He was the quarterback at a two A private school, and there was a public school that in, in Alabama that had basically just got a new coach uh, from a from that was kind of a famous guy, and they made a recruiting pitch to to to, to get this kid to transfer, and the kid got an address and house and all that kind of stuff, and was able to do it. Uh, you know, that's something that basically a lot of times you hear people complain about these private schools saying, oh, they recruit and these public schools don't, but everybody recruits. Every single every single school that, I'm a, that I know of recruits in some way, and I don't, I don't see anything wrong with it. I, I don't either, and, and that's the thing. It's like I love, I love competition, and if that, like you said, if that means that competition – is there to be had, and you want to go somewhere where there's competition? By all means, do it. I mean, there's there's kids from <clears throat> from here in Georgia that have gone from. There's a kid at Springwood a few years a few years back. There's a kid at Springwood that went from Springwood and played at Parkview, and then ended up at LSU, and. Um, not gonna name his name, but he oh, was I know a good exactly kid. <laughs> yeah, and he was a great kid, you know, great, great football player. And his, his but, older brother was a was a heck of a football player too, if I remember. Yes, right. sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> I played and, against his older brother was a handful. <laughs> yeah, and his and and the and the younger brother, the older younger brother was a great baseball player. So we absolutely, you know, I played with him. Yeah, I played with mm-hmm. him. Yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. So I mean. That that's what we're 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 getting at right now. I mean, you have to go where competition is if you want to get into a. I won't say a great school, but get into a school as well as get an education. I mean, there there has to be you know education involved in that as well. And you and you have to provide, like you said, you have to provide an environment that that people want to be in, you know. Um, and that, the thing is, is these schools that, that rely on kids go in there just because they're they're in their district or city limits or whatever, and they say, oh, nobody should be able to recruit these kids. Those people just rest on their laurels. and, and they, don't, they don't provide these kids with athletic experiences and stuff. And if, if they're not, you know, if they're giving them a baseball program that plays 10 games or a football program that doesn't have the same uh, money pumped into it as the school down the road, you don't deserve to retain those kids. Uh, this is but, true. But yet, sometimes people feel like that they're supposed to retain them. No, I, I don't view it that way. I view you have a responsibility to provide them with everything that the competition is providing them with. And if you're not, you deserve to lose that kid. I agree. I definitely agree. Now we're gonna switch. We're gonna switch gears a little bit and get into some swing football. And and. <laughs> There's a lot of swing football games today. Um, one in particular, I know that you're going to be tuned in to watching. I know I'm going to be tuned in to watching. 
the twelve thirty game. Oh, I'm hoping on, I'll be get tuned in to watch it. I, I actually, uh, uh, I, I've got to figure out uh, what time it's starting. If I'm not mistaken, it's two o'clock. Is that right? You know, twelve thirty or twelve thirty Eastern. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Well, we're gonna have. I'm gonna have to get a move on it this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, twelve thirty Eastern time uh, start. Notre Dame. Notre Dame spring game. What are you looking for in the Notre Dame spring game? Um, well, I'm going to tell you where I'm most interested because I, I know most people are going to look at the quarterback position. Uh, to me, I'm going to tell you, in my opinion, both of them are good. If both of them stay, we're going to have a really good quarterback, probably both of them playing. If one of them transfers, whoever stays, we have a good quarterback regardless. So I'm not even worried about that. Where I'm most interested to watch and I'm concerned about is linebacker. We lost multiple senior linebackers and we also have two linebackers that are out for the spring so we're basically going to be getting a look at how good is your depth um you know if the linebackers play if they look really raw and and pretty really bad like they have coming in because ohio state stuff it means next year could be a long year because i feel like we're really good everywhere else i feel like we're strong at receiver offensive line uh secondary is going to be really really good uh Defensive line is going to be pretty good, I think. But linebacker is going to be the difference in whether or not Notre Dame will be a nine-win team or possibly contend for, you know, 10, 11 wins kind of deal. I think that's the that's the big stepping point. You know, and the one thing that I'm going to be looking for in, that, in, in the Notre Dame spring game is seeing what receiver is going to step up and take that leadership role that Will Fuller has left. I think that – that there is is a big is a big uh, stepping stone as well, as well as the running back game. Um, will will the depth at running back be as good as it was last year? I mean, there's a lot of questions coming into the season for Notre Dame. Defensively, you you nailed it right on the head. Offensively, you know you you said exactly right. And I don't th- and honestly, I don't think that. Either one of those quarterbacks should transfer should transfer at all. They're in a good spot. Yeah, because I, I re- I'm gonna tell you, I really think he'll play both of them. I, um, I know sometimes coaches say they'll play both. I think Kelly, really, I think he he would prefer to do what they. If you remember what Notre Dame did against LSU in the bowl game two years ago with mm-hmm. Golston and and Zaire. I think he would like to do that with Kaiser and Zaire. Now, I, I'll tell you, I don't think Zaire's ever going to be a third and 12, let's let him drop back and, you know, continuously fire it. You know, I think Kaiser is a, is a much better quarterback in that situation. But I think Zaire brings you a, a, a rare combination of power running and speed at the quarterback position you don't see very often. If you remember, like, Tim Tebow, he actually – Tebow was a big guy who could run with speed. Uh, mm-hmm. Zaire brings that, which you don't normally – typically you see running quarterbacks are smaller scat guys that are going to run out of bounds. Zaire's a big guy. So I think though, the combination of guys and Zaire is probably what Brian Kelly's tempted to try to see if he can marry that together. And if if you find – I guess the question is, is, if neither one of them transferred, do you see one of – do you envision one of them moving positions? Or did you keep them both at quarterback? I, I see them both at quarterback, and I'll tell you one reason. I, I think, you know, we've got a kid out of New Jersey that's the third-string quarterback, and, and I think he's probably not as far along in his development as you would like. If he was further developed, 
you, I could see Zaire being a running back. I'll tell you right now, I could see Malik Zaire being a heck of a running back at 220 pounds and four or five speed. But I think Zaire is still so much further along than than uh, a third string quarterback. You have to pretty much keep him keep him at quarterback. But I, I don't see Kaiser moving. Because Kaiser, to me, uh, and this is going to be a strong statement, Kaiser, and I didn't like him much out of high school. I thought he was a project, but he developed well. What I saw last year is I, I think he may be the best NFL pros, NFL type prospect at quarterback that Notre Dame has had in in you know probably since the you know. 70s possibly, you know, and I know that's saying a lot, but looking at it, even Brady Quinn, Jimmy Clausen coming out of college, I think Kaiser is, is uh, he's bigger, stronger, he's going to project better than the NFL, and he really looked good last year, I thought. You know, and, and the way that he came in in that Virginia game and just took it, took that game by the scruff of the neck, I, I was really impressed by that. And then look at him develop from that game to the very to the very end of the last season, that was just great. That I mean, yeah, I I was very impressed with how far he. I I figured when he came in against Virginia, I, I, I'll be honest. I remember saying our season's over because I Kaiser came out of high school. He was he was kind of a project. So when he came in, I just assumed this guy's raw. We're gonna have to. You know, not going to be able to throw the ball much. He's going to turn it over when we do throw it. But he obviously has worked his tail off and, and got a lot better than he was out of high school. And much further along in, in the middle part of the game, reading defenses than I figured he would be. So credit goes out to him. He's doing a great job. I, I definitely agree. And, and, and I'm, I'm just – I'm very, very proud of what a lot of these coaches have done, especially – with guys like like the Malik Zaires who just come in and just instead of stepping away, you know, when you're getting hurt, you step into a quote unquote coach's position and you make sure that the team stays together and you make the team that much better. You don't see that very often in in, in any sport. But the way that that Malik Zaire handled that whole situation with the injury and everything. That that was just a credit to him and his and his. I, I want I, I guess upbringing would be a good would be a good you know. Um, way of saying it, you know. Yeah. Oh, I think Zaire has got tremendous character. He, you know, he seems like he's a team guy. Uh, even more so, I know last year at this time, I, I kind of was hoping that Golson would stay and, and, and play with Zaire. Golson, you know, he never projected even, you know, he, he never supported Zaire the way Zaire supported Kaiser. I think Zaire truly is a team guy. And I, and I really, you know, I think that will benefit Notre Dame going forward as far as Zaire being a leader and that kind of deal. He, he seemed like, a, you know, he's got great character and uh, he's a great ambassador for the university. Well, I, I agree, and I agree. I definitely agree with that. Now, you know, Notre Dame spring games today, Georgia spring games today, Alabama spring game today. Jason Lambert's going to play with the with the with the first team, um, in, in with the red today. Would you have rather seen um, another guy other than? Um, Jason Lambert play with the starters 
Would you rather have seen a guy like um? Well, here's my thing. I think I think it's it, to me it's an indication, and by this I mean, you know, if you if they truly felt like opening the season that Grayson Lambert was going to be a backup, he would be a backup today. I, I view it. I mean, you know, you would you would go ahead and go all in right now, and, mm-hmm. but to me, that's an indication that at least let's, let's say this. That's not saying Grayson Lambert is going to be the quarterback all year, but it's an indication Grayson Lambert will definitely start the first game. You know, and at least yeah. be, he's probably going to be his team through the first three or four weeks to see how far. You know, but I think Grayson Lambert's proved who he is. We saw. I've seen enough of Virginia and, and so far Georgia to to know. He's he's averages grits, and that's that's all there is to it. And maybe you can get by, maybe your defense can carry you, but that's what he is. Obviously, he's telling me the other guy, the other guys aren't ready. And in a pro style system, having a having a true freshman ready, for instance, it, it, it's a little tough. You know, a spread system, a true freshman can come right in, but in a pro style system, you don't see it very often. Yeah, and and I agree, I agree with that, and I. I go back to the quote that that Kirby Smart had a couple a couple weeks ago um, during the spring practice. He was saying Grayson would put himself ahead of himself, and then he'd make a throw that would ultimately make him come two steps back. Jacob Eason would make a throw that would put him head and shoulders above. Then the next day, he'd make mistakes. And it put him two and three steps back. He said, "There's been no real guy to step up and become a leader." I think that's going to be the problem for for um, Kirby Smart coming up this whole season. I, I think it's just going to be a big problem, no matter what he does, no matter how he wants to run his offense. That's going to be the big problem the entire season: quarterback play. I agree with you, and, and you know, the thing is, um, you know, I can see if you can – the guy that's probably going to turn the ball over less is going to be the older guy just simply because of experiences. Well, with that being said, if Kirby Smart feels like his run game and his defense can put him in games or try to – you know, similar to what McElwain did at Florida in his first season, then you might try to do it with Lambert doing that, you know. You're not going to ask him to win games, but maybe, just maybe, we can, you know, squeak out and go to the SEC title game like Florida did uh, with with average quarterback play. But if you put a true freshman in there, you know, he may be great in the long run, but he's probably going to turn the ball over enough that you ain't, you're not going to be, you know. So I can see where you go with Lambert to begin with. Let's see what where this season can take us, and then let's just say we're we're, we're off the two and two start. Now we're not we're not going to squeak out anything. Let's go with the kid. And the kid being Jacob Eason, who I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really wanting to see what he's going to do in this offense. I think this offense is tailor made for him. Um, a guy like a guy like um, the offense coordinator that that Georgia has. I mean, he's got the offense that he can mold around any any quarterback, and then he's also got. Veteran running backs. He's also got veteran receivers. 
around him. So that that could be this could be a big thing for for Georgia. I think the other the other part of that is what kind of defense are you going to see from Georgia this year as well? Yeah, well, you know, here's one thing I, I kind of I, I truly believe that regardless of personnel, number one is you always, you know Georgia's got incredible athletes in the cupboard already. Mm-hmm. I think Kirby Smart, and, and I remember I went to a coaching clinic before I ever started uh, streetlight recruiting. I was coaching high school football as a defensive coordinator at Chambers Academy, and I went to a coaching clinic in Alabama. It was Nick Saban's first coaching clinic um, at, when he as a coach at Alabama, and Kirby Smart was a defensive ex coach. And basically what they had was for about a 20-minute segment, they had every every position coach stood up and took questions and talked and this kind of deal in front of in front of the, all the high school coaches. And I remember telling my brother at the time, I was like, you know what, Kirby Smart and Major Applewhite was the offensive coordinator. Those, and Kirby Smart was just the, deep, the secondary coach. But I remember telling him those two were – they were the closest thing to a head coach of all the position coaches there was. I said, Kirby Smart, that's no doubt going to be a head coach one day. And – and it's just the presence you got. Even then, that's that's before he was a defensive coordinator. That's when he was just he was just a he was just a, a peon secondary uh, uh, coach. But I really believe you, this this guy this guy knows defense. This guy is going to be able to immediately immediately take Georgia's defense and take the personnel, and they'll be better than they were last year immediately. Even under a guy like Jeremy Pruitt, who he's coached with. Yes. I, now, don't get me wrong. I like Pruitt. I, I, I've heard Pruitt talk. I remember him coaching at Hoover, actually, in, when he was high school. Mm-hmm. But with Kurt, if you if you hear Jeremy Pruitt talk and you hear Kirby Smart talk, you get a sense. With Kirby Smart is a different. It's, it's different. It's an aura of, I'm, I'm you know, kind of like if you listen to Bill Belichick talk. It, it's a I'm the smartest guy in the room type deal. It's something you don't hear very often. So I'm a big Kirby Smart fan because he caught my, I guess you'd say, caught my attention. This guy, you could just sense greatness. Like you could sense this guy's special. So I think Georgia's going to benefit by that, and Georgia's going to benefit for years. Not that Mark Reed wasn't a, was a bad guy. I think Kirby Smart's just a great football coach, and I think you'll see it right away on the defensive side, especially. You know, and seeing great, and seeing greatness. You know, I. I I watched Kirby Smart play at Georgia. I watched him a little bit in high school too. I got to got to travel to to some high school football games when he were when he was in high school, and you you can see you can see where he was a son, he's the son of a coach. You can see that that coach's mentality came out out of him on the field. So I mean I thought it was a natural progression that he would become a head coach, just like you said. And you actually heard it firsthand. You know, that's what makes that's what makes Kirby Smart such a great hire for for Georgia, and a great hire for anybody, to be honest with you. But him knowing the pulse of Georgia, the way that he does, by him playing there, and then him being, uh, you know, former guy that played in the state of Georgia high school football. That that this makes this an even better hire. Oh, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I absolutely. I think it's an awesome hire. And, and, and I I hate, I hate to say this, but it's kind of just the way I view it. Martin Rick, in a way, and I remember when when Notre Dame when we had Tyrone Willingham. This is the same way I felt about Tyrone Willingham. Martin Rick 
He's a terrific, I mean, one of the most awesome human beings that you could ever meet. I would love for Mark Rick to babysit my kids. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, I, I, if, if there's a fight in a, in an alleyway somewhere between Mark Rick and Nick Saban, I can go ahead and tell you he's going to win. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. Nick Saban will punch you in the throat. Mark Rick and Tyrone Willingham, you know, for instance, those those guys aren't built like that. They're not killers, so therefore they're going to lose those at those back back alleyway fights nine times out of ten. They're not tough enough. So I think Rick is a terrific, you know, guy. Like my Miami hiring him, it's awesome because they do need to change the culture down there. What whatever they've been doing is not working. That may be a good idea for Georgia though. Georgia's a big boy with big boy talent in their backyard. But you're getting your tail kicked year, you know, every year by Alabama, or you know, you're not winning the mm-hmm. national titles. Well, how do you do that? You don't. You're not going to beat Nick Saban. You know, you're bringing a you're bringing a, a knife to a gunfight when you bring Mark Rick and Nick Saban. Too nice, too nice. Kirby Smart is tough enough. I don't know if he's going to beat Nick Saban, but he is. He's sure enough tough enough. So now, now you actually are. You got a fighter. You got a real fighter that's going to go throat to throat with these guys. This so is true. I think Georgia gives herself a better shot. I mean, and I, I would, I would definitely agree with you. You haven't seen a fighter for head coach in a long time at Georgia. Oh, you're I, right. Even Ray, Ray Golf. Golf. Ray Golf. Was yeah, a, he was just a oh, you know, hey. <laughs> you, you need Jim a tough Dunham, guy. <laughs> Jim Dunham may have been. He was. A little, he was a little bit of a fighter, but nobody really gave him a chance though because he came from Marshall, and Marshall at that time was a one double A school, and so he really didn't get a chance to really spread his wings. Um, Vince Dooley, he was a CEO in a sense. He let the program run itself. I mean, it would, I mean, would I be wrong in saying that? Oh, I would agree. I'd agree with you 100%. And, and, and I'm sure there's Georgia fans that will hear this and, and won't like it, but I think this is the reality. Uh, number one is, again, I'm on board with the Kirby Smart. I think that's great. I think all that, you know, I think Georgia's giving themselves a chance to get in the right direction. But I'm going to tell you something. In my opinion, when you judge the high school talent in the backyard, when you judge how it compares to the in-state rival or to their local rival, when when you judge all of that kind of deal, facilities, money, all that, Georgia as a program is they've came up short historically by far the most disappointing of any program in the country, if you ask me. I'm a, cause think about it. One national title with everything I just named. Your, your mm-hmm. superior your, – your, your high school players in the state of Georgia, all you – you as superior to Georgia Tech, even though Georgia Tech has way more national titles. Part right. of that is you're playing a better conference. Part of that is you got more money gets pumped into the school. But either way, you're viewed as superior. You have great facilities. You have a great stadium, all this kind of deal. You you, you, you play in a great conference. And, again, you just own – you have great high school talent in the state of Georgia. Yet you've only won one national title. I mean, one. We're talking one – you know who else won one national title? BYU. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean – that Georgia is just – but yet now if you hear Georgia fans talk, they compare themselves to Alabama. In reality, there's, that's not even comparable yet. No. But here's the thing, though. It should be. If Georgia had historically hired the right guys and done the right things, they do have the, the, the basis as far as statewide and program 
they should be competing for national titles, but they're not. Every year. Every year. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you go back to, I mean, you go back to look at look at years that they've had the 2008 year, the 2007-2008 year. Matthew Stafford was there. And they had AJ Green, Matthew Stafford, um three great running backs. Not just one, they had three great running backs. Moreno, Thomas Brown. I mean, they they were loaded. And they were loaded on the defense side of the ball. There was no way they should have lost two games that year. No You're way. Right. And that's the thing is, my whole life, my entire life, and I didn't, re- you know, obviously I'm I'm not, not old enough to remember the national title they won, but my whole life watching Georgia, you've always seen great talent, but you've always seen them choke. I mean, just think about it. All the way back to Gareth Nurse, Eric Zire. Uh, Matthew Stafford. They, hey, hey, this will tell you about what the, the Georgia uh, program and what's wrong. Do you think the University of Alabama would ever have a parade after, because they were named season number one? No. No, but Georgia did. <laughs> so That's this is, crazy. It's a mentality thing. you got to change yeah. the culture. It's just crazy. And that that's the one thing that, that a lot of people don't understand is that I'm 35 years old, and I haven't heard Georgia's name come up in a in a in a national championship game ever. Ever. You're right. The closest but, game was the Alabama the the Alabama Georgia. The winner was going to play Notre Dame. That's the closest they came. Right. And they came what what four yards short of that. So I mean. Mm-hmm. So I mean, this is a good Georgia program historically, like you said. But until they actually get over the hump, they'll never be the elite SEC program. I mean, when, right. when when Florida has more national championships than you, and you consider yourselves to be better than Florida, or you're better than than South Carolina, and South Carolina has same amount of national championships as you do. One, I mean, and they're historically a bad program, but they've got a national well, championship. And, and South Carolina historically doesn't have even close to the the, the high school talent in the state of Georgia. So exactly, they shouldn't compare. It's, you know, Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee high school football is a joke, but yet Tennessee's got <laughs> way more national titles than Georgia. Exactly, it just makes no sense. I mean, you look at you look at this you look at the schools with national championships. The schools like Michigan, Michigan State, uh, Ohio State. You look at, I mean, Michigan Michigan football is not as strong as Ohio or anyone in the Midwest for for that matter. But they can recruit nationwide, and they make themselves that much better. Whereas you look at a school like Georgia, and a lot of their players are in-state recruits. You may have that. You may have that 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 one or two outside the state of Georgia or outside of the southeast on your squad, but you still aren't doing anything with the talent that you have. Whereas You're right. those schools are winning national championships do. Oklahoma. Oklahoma has less schools than anybody 
in any of the five major high schools in their state, you know, than any of the the Power Five conferences. Yet they've won eight national championships to year one. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And that, that, to me, who you can compare it to, and it just to me it comes across clear when you tell me great in-state talent, and then again being superior by far viewed to your in-state uh, rival. You got Texas. Texas has won more national titles. Texas and uh, you know, t- to me, to me, Georgia, Georgia Tech is like Texas, Texas A and M, USC, mm-hmm. UCLA. All right, mm-hmm. UCLA is always going to be superior to UCLA. USC is always going to be superior to UCLA. Uh, Texas is superior to Texas A and M, for instance, by high, by high school kids. No matter what the program currently is, and then yep. Georgia, Georgia Tech. But every the other two scenarios, USC has been a national title contender and winner. Uh, Texas has been a national title contender and winner. Georgia has not. Al- Alabama, uh, you know, you can also throw Alabama. Alabama is typically viewed by more people as uh, superior to Auburn and the in-state. They get the in-state talent. Well, they've competed for national titles. Why has mm-hmm. Georgia? Is, I just don't understand. It just makes no sense. Somebody's, somebody's fumbling the ball somewhere. Uh, you know, it's, uh, they've got a new AD at Georgia, but there's no real recruiting guy there. There's never really been a good recruiting coordinator at Georgia. They've gotten the talent simply because of the silver britches and the red jersey. That's been about it. That's the only reason why they got that talent. But at the same time, you look at a school like Georgia Tech, who I, I would even say that they're even once-in-a-generation type type team where they can pull off the big wins and Win a national championship. They haven't won one in 25 years. But the the, the fact the, the fact of the matter is is that in 25 years, Georgia Tech's won a national championship, whereas Georgia's only won two SEC championships. Yeah, that's right. Well, and then here's hmm. another thing. You know, when it comes to that, I'm gonna tell you in my lifetime, one thing I've always seen and I've always felt like I think, like you mentioned, the recruiting coordinator. Georgia misevaluates talent more so than, to me, almost any other team. Maybe it's because I've always lived close to Georgia. But they have more guys that are supposedly these awesome talents that never produce. Here's my thing is maybe Georgia needs to do a better job of looking, and I know he came in a transfer, but looking for the in-state Jake Gaines. You know, that guy's not real big. He's not real tall, but he's a football player. You know, This you, is true. You know, every guy you get doesn't have to look Tarzan. Because the guys they've been getting that look like Tarzan, a lot of them play like James. By, by James, yeah. Uh, I mean, over the years, you know how many wide receivers I've heard? Oh, this guy, Georgia's wide receiver, he's 6'3", he runs a 4'3", but he, he's got hands like a snake. He can't um, catch the ball. Case in point, <laughs> um, and, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll throw this out to you. Case in point with that, if you remember back in the remember back in the day when they got the Stevenson three, they got Sean Bailey, T.J. Gartrell, and, um, and Craig Lumpkin. Yeah. And then Reggie Ball ended up going to Georgia Tech. That's a, you're, so, that's a good point. That's a good point. Absolutely a good point. you got to look for those guys. Look for the football players and not necessarily the guy. I think Georgia, more so than anybody, has always gotten the combine guy, the the guy that looks good in Speedos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know, Alabama will show you. Everybody don't have to look good in Speedos. Some of Alabama players are just, you know, some of them are gritty. 
Some of them are football Ryan, players. That's what you, Ryan you gotta have won. those guys. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I want Boss Bailey. I want Champ Bailey. But you gotta have some football players too. Some other guys. You gotta have some other guys to go with it. And, and I think, think running back more so. If you remember, Jasper Saints was super, super highly. Yeah, bad. from Carver. I yeah. actually played against he, well, Jasper Saints. He yeah, was awful. Was super, super high. Yeah, he was super highly rated. He, he never panned out a whole lot. Quarterback. I mean, Prince Carter was a good college quarterback. But if mm-hmm. you would to hear people talk, you thought this guy was the next Joe Montana. No. Um, another guy that that we haven't even talked about. I mean, it really wasn't his fault. But you look at a guy like a Bruce Thornton, who was the number one running back in '98. You move him to cornerback. I mean, I remember that name. I don't. I don't remember a lot about him, but I remember the name. And I, I actually, I actually played high school football against Bruce. Bruce was probably one of the best running backs in the state of Georgia. He got the Georgia, he got the UGA. They made him a. They made him a cornerback. Now he. Now, granted, he did play a few years in the league, but he wasn't that great of a quarterback. Cornerback, I'm sorry. But he was a great running back. Played at LaGrange High School under Steve Pardue. I mean, mm-hmm. just a great talent. But at the same time, you played him out of position. He wasn't a cornerback. You made him a cornerback. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think Georgia, and maybe I'm sure in the coverage part they'll do a better job of, of recruiting, you know, what they need rather than just, you know, saying, okay, hey, these are the best 25 athletes in the state. Let's offer them. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to do a better job. I think it's what they've been doing, and it hadn't worked. And I think that's what happened with Bailey Hockman. I think when you saw Jacob Easton go to, go to Georgia and roll early, and then you look at what Florida State won't have next year, Bailey Hockman's in a better position because – of what you see. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you, in my opinion, and I've looked at the 2017 quarterbacks, you know, obviously with, with Dalton being in there, I looked at some of the other ones a little close just to kind of get an idea. I think Georgia's better off with the kid they got than better than Hockman. I like Prom better than Hockman. I do to too. I do too. I do too. And we've got about 90 seconds left. And Scott, I want to thank you for being a part of the show. And uh, hopefully we can talk more about more about spring football next weekend as well, and more, more football. Check out Scott Smith at StreetlightRecruiting.com, the Jerry Maguire of of recruiting. Um, also check him out on his Facebook page, um, Streetlight Recruiting. And you want to hear from, you want to get in contact with him, dial him up at three three four five two four nine three three four, and I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. Scott, thank you for being a part of the show. I, I enjoyed it, man. I appreciate it. I look forward to speaking with you all next weekend. All right. And as for everybody else, thank you for being a part of the show. Have a great weekend, and let's go tailgating.
Hey, yo, T, I think, uh, I think we can keep this one slow. Make it easy to ride to. Yeah. You know, sometimes I look around and I think, like, maybe I am out here on my own. Yeah. Gotta find something. Oh, I can't? But I can try, right? <laughs> yeah. But what then? You know that ain't so bad. Yeah. I told a girl I love her, you stand on your own. But you ain't gotta deal with these cameras alone. From the beginning, see, I learned how to manage my own. Became the boy, and then I turned to a man on my own. The lone wolf for the pack, moving through hella crap. Down to earth, so it's only natural I hold you down. Now you the one I picture when I roam around. And the summer I'm falling for you is going down. Yeah, staying stuck in this season of mine. And I've been shining to the point that my reason is blind. Think I'm the one that that's just something I'm reaching to find. Out of control, but yo, that shit that I still been denying. Yeah, the light's down, but we staying up. And looking back where I started, my only way is up. Weight of the world, but I lifted before the weight is up. And still myself the one and only that I came to trust. Now that's some crazy luck. Yeah, let it rock, but you want some soul shit, yeah, and she just keeps saying, oh nah, you know what, maybe you're right. What you gonna do? Yeah. Yeah. I never really thought realistic Cause when it comes to my vision, man, only I can see it Said only I can reach it And I'm just praying by the time that I'm gone I'll be hearing spirits so you can hear this Yeah, well these rappers stuck on the same product Tell them forget it, ain't hard to tell that they ain't got it Simple and plain, I'ma leave this world with my name on it Knowing it's easy to hate the plane when you ain't on it Riding, whipping through the horizon, my timing is something better than it's ever been. They call me Wolfie from how I'm plying on hella biz. Hip hop's alive and I'm here to show you the evidence. Back to the wall where I started back in the day. I was pushing maximum effort and pulling minimum weight. Trying to show the all those around me that I can stand on my own. Now I swear I'm afraid of nothing. I'm screaming after the phone. While I'm busy pulling my fam up an animal, how I ran up the standards of how we live it. It's funny they pull the camera up. The picture how I'ma get it when years I've been in my zone. And you just how I started by killing this on my own. My word is my bone. And I'm just out on my own.